glad you are here. We've had a we've had a good week so far. I think um, many of you probably weren't aware, but some of you were. Our our staff, the pastoral staff, we had a retreat these past few days, Thursday through yesterday morning. We were out of town and just praying together and doing some planning for what's ahead for 2023. And and, and so I'm really excited about the outcome of that uh, retreat and kind of where we're going. And so you'll be hearing more about that in, in the coming weeks and the plans we have, but, um, but I'm excited for that. So those of you that were aware and prayed for us, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, one note on the announcements. I did notice the slide for the ladies event said November 5th and the announcement was November 4th. November 4th is the correct date. So that's Friday night. Just so in case you happen to be confused, November 4th, Friday night is the, is the night for the ladies. But we're into week two of our family portrait study. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter six. This is our second week of this new series. We kicked it off last week by looking at God's perfect design for marriage uh, with Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter two. And I've, I've had, actually had a, a handful, a, a number of people ask me kind of where I was going next and, and if I was gonna stick with Adam and Eve and talk about their marriage after their fall and, and talk about their kids. And, and listen, there's plenty to talk about there. Genesis chapter three, we could, we could look at some blame shifting in marriage and Genesis chapter four, we could, we could talk about their kids and you know murder. Stuff like that. Um, we could spend multiple weeks on that chapter alone. Truly, that's a very deep, deep chapter. Genesis chapter 5 deals with the generations of Adam, the generations of. That's actually a very important phrase in the book of Genesis. We're going to see it where we're at this morning. We could spend time in Genesis chapter 5 for sure, but we're not going to do any of those studies. Uh, we're moving on from Adam and Eve, and we're jumping straight to Noah. So, you know, this series isn't a study of the book of, of Genesis. It's more of a 30,000 foot overview of various families, all dealing with various family issues. And so there's a lot I wanna get to and there's some specificity in what I wanna get to strategically um, in, in, in each family. So we're gonna keep moving. We're not gonna get too hung up on any one family. So if you feel cheated, I apologize uh, to you. You know, maybe one day we'll study the book of Genesis. That would, that would be a, a worthwhile study. I mean, it would take us till the Lord comes back, I'm sure, but, um, but it, might, it might, might be worth it. Uh, but today we're going to study the life and the family of Noah. And in this study, we're going to learn some keys to parenting in perilous times. That's the title for today's message, Parenting in Perilous Times. And certainly, Noah lived in some perilous times. If you know anything about Genesis chapter 6, you know just how perilous they were. I mean, it was sort of Marvel movies on steroids, the type of stuff that Noah was dealing with. And God described those times this way in Genesis 6, verse 5. It says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was a bad time, and so bad that God decides to wipe out nearly the entire population of man and animals in a worldwide flood. So it was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad in Noah's day. But listen, Jesus told us that days like that were coming again. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Now, now certainly, I think the most proper doctrinal application to that verse, to Matthew 24, 37, is, is the tribulation period, the, the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. But, but listen, you cannot say that there is zero application for the end of the church age as well. I do believe there's a bit of an overlap in, in what Jesus is even saying there, and I think Paul confirms that for us in verses like 2 Timothy 3.1 that says this, know also that in the last days, the last days of the church age, perilous times shall come. And that word perilous, it's a, that's, a, that's a good Bible word there. That word perilous means spiritual danger. We actually see it used one other time in scripture in Matthew 8:28 it's it's translated a different way in Matthew 8:28 is translated fierce but i want you to see the context Matthew 8:28 says and when he was come to the other side into the country of the gergesenes there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce exceeding perilous you see, he fears so that no man might pass by that way. You see, the context of the word, both in Matthew 8, 28 and in 2 Timothy 3, 1, is the spiritual danger surrounding the demonic. It certainly applied very overtly in Noah's day. But listen, it applies today as well. And it's it's seen differently. It certainly comes out in a different way. But there's no doubt that Satan is working overtime today to deceive the saved and the unsaved alike. Paul describes demonic deception that was, was happening with the Corinthians, but it also happens for us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, nor another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. And that's the type of thing we see in Christianity today, in our world today. We see a, a demonic deception that is very dangerous and it's, it's, it's another Jesus, and it's another spirit, and it's another gospel. And it's deception, and it's distraction. And it's playing out in our world. And it's very perilous. And it's, listen, it's very perilous for us, because for, for many of us, the world seems pleasant. That's the deceptive aspect of it. And that's the greatest spiritual danger of all, being lured in by the world. And it can be a little tricky, kind of, you know, navigating and running the line of being in the world, but not of the world. And Satan, I think, is taking full, taking full advantage of that. And yet we are tasked with raising children in this environment, just as Noah was. And Noah navigated parenting in perilous times successfully. Now, and I'm sure it wasn't perfect. We'll, we'll talk some about that. I mean, you know, he, he had some children do some bad things, one in particular in Genesis chapter 9 down the road. But, but there's a great picture that we see with Noah that I, that I want to focus on this, this morning, and it's, and it's just this picture. Because Noah's family portrait shows the protection and salvation of his children. 
Noah's family portrait shows the protection and the salvation of his children when the rest of the world was going to hell. Hebrews 11.7 says this. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for what? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And, th and that too has a doctrinal application that applies to the nation of Israel that, that we're not even really going to look at this morning. But historically, the fact is, Noah's three sons walked onto the ark that Noah built, and it saved their lives. It saved their lives. And that is a picture for us that we can learn this morning. Because Noah did some things in his parenting that, that, that worked with his children. And, you know, and, and we're going to talk about, there's, there's no such thing in the Bible as a household salvation. So if a, there's some that would teach that, you know, if a father gets saved, that the whole house is saved. Well, no, that's, that's not biblical. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about that. Each person has to make a free will choice on their own. But there are some things we can do in our parenting to set our kids up to make the right decision. And they ultimately have to make it. And again, there's, there's, there's nothing that says we have to be perfect in this. We, we don't get a lot of details of Noah and his family's life during this time, and I'm sure it wasn't perfect. I, I suspect there were some troubles in the, in the Noah household as he was building the ark and you know the friends of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, you know, we're probably laughing at their friend's crazy old man. But we also see the salvation of his kids, and that's an important picture for us. Because as parents, that just has to be our number one goal in life as it relates to our children. If you have kids, your number one goal is to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. By their own volition, they have to make the decision but that has to be your goal. There's nothing more important. Please know that. I mean, getting good grades is important. Getting a scholarship may be important. Being an elite athlete is less important. But your child's eternal destiny? Come on. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So we have some things we can learn from Noah's family portrait this morning. And we're going to see it out of, out of Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to be focused on verses 7 through 22. So I'm going to read it, follow along with me as we see this, these pictures begin to unfold. Genesis chapter 6 verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion 
which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shall be set in the side thereof with lower second and third stories shalt thou make of it. We get some level of detail into, into what, what the ark is. In verse 17, And behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, and of every creeping thing on the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning needing to hear from you. Lord, we are, many of us in here are parents and even those of us that aren't are, 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 are maybe spiritual parents, or that's certainly the, the path we need to be taking in this life. And so, Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from your word this morning on, on how to do it in the days in which we live. And, and, and Lord, for um, you know, setting up our children to, to, to make the, the choice to, to, to accept you and live their life for you. And, and, and so, Lord, we just, I just pray this morning that... Um, that your word speaks clearly, that your word speaks authoritatively. I pray that everything is said is true to it. I pray it's honoring to you, it's glorifying to you, and I pray for all of us that you just give us ears to hear this morning uh, what your word and what you have to speak to us. And, and Lord, be honored in it. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for you and, and, and how you give us the instruction that we need in, in the very moments that we need it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we just read... The very beginning of, of, the, of the very popular story of Noah and the ark. So a, a child who has been in Sunday school for, you know, any amount of time is likely familiar with that story, as, a, as is most of you in the room. Most of us in the room were familiar with Noah and the ark. Now, I, I do want to mention here, just as we're getting started, that this is a true story. This is not, it's not a fairy tale. It's not an allegory. This is real. All, everything in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and beyond, it all happened. It really happened. And I know you're, most of you agree with me on that point. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, thanks. Thanks for that, that bit of knowledge there. And so I know you agree with me on that point. But as we talked some last week, we live in a day and age where Bible rejection is the norm. Even within, you know, quote, unquote, Christianity. There are many churches, there are many pastors who would say that Genesis chapter 6 is not a true story, and that really nothing in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is true. But that's wrong. It's absolutely true. In fact, Noah is mentioned throughout Scripture as true. And the writers of each of those book, books where verses referencing Noah are found, all of them wrote with great clarity on the truth of the book of Genesis. We've already read a couple of those verses in Matthew and Hebrews. We also see Peter. Peter mentions Noah multiple times in his epistles. Even the prophet Ezekiel, you might not expect that, but Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14, 
So, so these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it. They should deliver by their own souls, by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. And he goes on and talks more about him down in verse 20. Even Ezekiel, they all speak of Noah as the truth of God, with the truth of God's word, that, that Noah was a real man and what God said of Noah really happened. And while you may think this, may, this isn't directly related to our theme of parenting in perilous times, I mention this because absolute belief in the Bible is absolutely essential to everything we're talking about in this series. We're trying to combat the spirit of this age that is fighting against biblical families. And without full trust in the Bible as God's word, then honestly nothing I say will be that helpful to you. But if you know the Bible to be true, and it, that it pertains to all areas of life, then you can see how it is the manual for marriage and parenting and all things related to the family. And these family stories give us great insight into God's plan and pattern for how we are to construct our families to God's glory. And the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 gives us some great keys to biblical parenting that ultimately resulted in the salvation of his kids. And again, I can't promise you that doing what we are going to talk about today will result in the salvation of your kids. I'll say it again. Each person, including our kids, has a free will and have to, has to make a choice for themselves. But I can tell you that following Noah's picture will set your kids up in the best possible way that, that you can. And it'll allow them to be able to see God work in their life and be able to see the Lord so that they can honestly make that important decision for themselves. They need to be able to know what is true. And you are the one to show them. And here's where it starts. This is the first key to biblical parenting that we see with Noah. Noah was sincere in his walk. Noah was sincere in his walk. We read in Genesis 6-7 that God was so fed up with his creation that he decides to destroy it all, both man and beast. And of course, while he doesn't say it in verse 7, he actually doesn't say it until verse 17, we know that that destruction is going to come via a worldwide flood. So verse 7 is a dire verse. But verse 8 starts with two encouraging words. But Noah. So we see from this first extended introduction to Noah that there was something different about Noah. So the world and all of humanity and all of the animals were this way. But Noah. But Noah was different. And we learn what the difference was in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Again, we're not even going to take the time to go into it, but there's that phrase again. It's an important phrase in the book of Genesis. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So here is how Noah was different. He was just in the midst of an unjust world. He was just in the midst of an unjust world. He was perfect in his generations. Well, We'll talk about that later on this morning. And lastly, we see that Noah walked with God. And so I'm going to stick there for a second. 
You know, Noah is, is one of only two people in the Bible where it explicitly states that they walked with God. We can assume many others, but there's two people that it explicitly says these two men walked with God. So we have Noah and the other was Noah's great-grandfather Enoch. And Enoch is an interesting character in the Bible. In Genesis 5.24, we read this about him. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So that means Enoch didn't die. God took him and rescued him from the impending judgment of the flood, making Enoch a type of the church being raptured. So that was Enoch. Noah walked with God, and, and, and what ends up happening with Noah is Noah was taken safely through the judgment, making Noah a type of the remnant of Israel that God will save during the tribulation. So we have these pictures here. But both of them had a walk that was noticed by God and was noticed by the world. Enoch's walk was certainly noticed by the world when he was taken, if not before. I'm sure it was before. But Noah's walk was definitely noticed during his life. Genesis 6, 9 says that he was just. And the study of the word just in that verse, it, it points to his lifestyle. It means lawful and righteous. And the just in the Bible throughout Scripture are always noticed because they don't hide who they are. If you're just, you're open and honest before the world, and you are sincere in your walk with God. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light. The shineth more and more into the perfect day. And a shining light is certainly noticeable. In fact, it draws attention to itself. The Galatians 3.11 says, But that no man is justified by the law on the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And living by faith is absolutely evident. You don't try to hide it, but it's just part of who you are. Now, not everyone is appreciated for a just person's lifestyle. Not all just people are appreciated for how they live. But it is noticed because it's sincere. It's who they are. It is, it is their makeup, and that is who Noah was. And so let me connect this now to our topic of the day. The people that notice this, this sincerity or the lack of sincerity in your walk with God first and most are the people in your house. The people that notice the sincerity or the lack of sincerity in your walk with God are the people in your house, including and maybe especially your children. See, Noah was, you know, successful with his kids because he lived, in, in part, because he lived a life that was true in his walk with God. He didn't say one thing and then live another. In, in fact, throughout this story, Noah doesn't say anything at all. All he does is listen to God and obey. We do not have the first words of Noah until Genesis 9.25, after the flood. No, nothing. Noah doesn't speak in Genesis 6, in Genesis 7, in Genesis 8, nothing. But what is talked about is Noah's walk. So parents, listen to me right now. 
especially the fathers, but, but everyone. If you want to influence your kids in the ways of the Lord, your walk needs to be greater than your talk. Your walk with the Lord needs to be greater than how you talk about the Lord. That is more important. And this is something that you cannot fake. It must be sincere. Your children will see through your fakeness in a second. And if a walk with God is not important to you, do you actually think or can you actually expect it to be important to them? The truth is you can't. Now maybe by God's grace it will be. We, we certainly see that. And it's always possible. But if it's not important to you, do you say, okay, well I, you know, it's, yeah, this is something that's not important to me, but I, I really expect it to be important to them. It doesn't work that way. So Noah's children saw his walk and saw that it was sincere. But even more importantly, so did the Lord. And this gets this point to everyone and, 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 and not just a portrait of the family. But I want you to notice the wording of verse 8. But Noah found grace, where? In the eyes of the Lord. And and the eyes of the Lord is a phrase found 22 times in the Bible. And it tells me that there's no doubt that the Lord is watching. The Lord has eyes, and the Lord is watching all the time. Not only did he watch Noah, he watches everyone, including you and me. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You see, God knows the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. And God knows if we are sincere or not. There's obviously no fooling the Lord. And this is exactly why Noah found grace. It says, but Noah found grace. It's not that he was some elect chosen at God's whim for no apparent reason. No, God looked. The eyes of the Lord went to and fro. And God looked and he saw that he was sincere, that he was righteous in his doings. In the Old Testament, a man found grace by separation from the world unto righteous living. In a discussion between Moses and God in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, Moses said, it says, And he said unto him, and Moses said unto God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And then in Psalm 84, verse 11, the psalmist says, For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withheld from them that walk uprightly. It's another word for righteously. And listen, the fact is, this still applies to us today as well. Obviously, God's grace was shown in, in, in by, by dying on the cross for our sins, and that's for the entire world. People just have to believe and, and accept. And, 
And, and so that's available to anyone. But then God's grace extends beyond that, even into our Christian life. It's, you know, it's not just a one and done deal. All right, God never shows grace again after we're saved. No. So do you want God to show grace in your family? Then walk uprightly. Walk righteously. And walk sincerely. And listen, this is incredible to me. But Genesis 6-8 is the first mention of grace in the Bible. All right, so that, talking about Noah, it's the first mention of grace in the Bible. And I just want you to think about that for a second. Because the first mention of grace in the Bible comes at a time when God is going to destroy the planet. The first mention of grace is, is in combination with God going to destroy everything. And that means that things are never too far gone for God to intervene. Even in your family. If you will just be a Noah, God is willing to show grace. Remember in Genesis 18 when Abraham goes to God, God on behalf of Lot because he knows that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he knows that his nephew's there. And Abraham's praying to God. He's like, God, man, if... if Peradventure, if there are only 50, 50 righteous, will you save it for 50? He's like, yeah, I'll save it for 50. He's like, okay, I mean, if it's 50, but it's, I mean, if there's only five more, like 45, you'd save it for 45, right? Like, yeah, I'll save it for 45. 40? Sure, sure, I'll do that. I mean, if we're dealing 30? Okay. How about 20? Yeah, 20, I'll save it for 20. How about 10? Yeah, I'll do that. So this, God will show grace to the righteous. Now, there weren't even ten. God still destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Kind of like he did in Genesis, ultimately in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. There were eight that made it. Not even ten that he could find. But if you will just be a Noah, God's willing to show grace. Things were crazy. God was upset to the point that it repented him that he made man. But Noah. Listen, Noah filled a purpose that changed history because of how he lived. So let me ask you, do you need a change in your life? Do you need a change in your family? Then be like Noah. Walk uprightly. Walk with God and just see what grace God will show towards you. Now, he's not required to. He doesn't owe us any grace, no matter what we do. But because God is gracious, he sure does love to show it, especially to those who are willing to walk with him sincerely and uprightly. And that is the first key to biblical parenting that we see from Noah. He had a sincere walk with the Lord. But then second, we see that Noah was also separated from the world. And this goes along with our previous point, but I want to outline this specifically because it is so relevant to biblical parenting today in this very, very deceptive world. Okay, listen, we live in this world, we are to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world. 
the Bible lays out very, very clearly that this world is our enemy. It is fighting against everything in everything that we are to be with respect to how we are to lead our families in the Bible, how are we are to walk with the Lord. It's fighting tooth and nail against everything you're doing to serve the Lord. And, and we just lose sight of it. We forget, and sometimes this world is it's, it's, it's too fun for us. And so we've already talked a little bit about how wicked the world was during Noah's day, but look at how God further describes it in verses 11 through 13. He said, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is how bad things had gotten. All flesh was corrupted, man, beast, and the earth itself. It was bad. And listen, that just continues. Because of the curse, and remember, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And we're getting closer to that day. Isaiah 24, 5 says, The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. Why? Because they've transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. And listen, that defilement just continues. And has continued. And today's world is increased with corruptness. Now it's more subtle. That's what makes it so dangerous. Because it feels like it's not our enemy. But it absolutely is our enemy. And it is just fighting against the Bible all the time. And in these last days, things are turning crazier all the time. Like the Bible said they would. And, and, I, and I don't want to turn political, but I want to show you a headline from an ABC affiliate in Virginia from October 13th. So I think, we have the, I think we have it here. So if you can't read this, I'm just going to read this headline for you. This is ABC 7 News. You can see this. This isn't even, you know, some whack site. It says, Virginia parents could face abuse charges for not affirming their LGBTQ child under new bill. That was from October 13th. All right, 10 days ago. And, and there's, so there's an elected official, Elizabeth Guzman, who wants to expand the state's abuse and neglect laws to include parents who won't affirm their child's choice in gender. As young as five. And so in that article, and, and you can find the article on your own, the, the reporter, this guy named Nick Minock, he asked Guzman the following question. He said, what could be the penalties if the investigation concludes that a parent is not affirming of their LGBTQ child? What could the consequences be? And this was her answer. She said, well, well first we have to complete the investigation. Yeah, okay, thanks for that. But then she said, it could be a felony. It could be a misdemeanor. But we know that a CPS charge could harm your employment, could harm their education. Because nowadays many people do a CPS database search before offering employment. So that's in Virginia. And listen, I, there's a Republican majority, and, and, and I'm not even speaking politically, but there's a Republican majority in the state of Virginia, so the odds of her getting this, this through is, is, is next to nothing. 
But it may not always be that way. And by the way, that is why elections matter. (laughs) And this is why you should vote. You can make your own decisions on that, but I'm just saying the world is our enemy because it's taking everything that this book says and trying to flip it on its head and trying to preach, preach something different that this book does. We live in an evil, anti-biblical world today. And if you don't see it, you need to take your head out of the ground and see what you're fighting against. And you think, oh man, that'll, that'll never happen here. It's our enemy. Hates the Bible. And so here's the picture. We need to be like Noah. Noah was different. That's the picture from Noah. Noah was different. His walk was different. His walk was contrary to the world. That's what we see from him. Genesis 6-9 says that he was perfect in his generations. Okay, now that's a much different description of man that we saw at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 and that we just read in verses 11 through 13. And we talk some about the word perfect around here and when we, the Bible uses the word perfect, it does not mean sinless. It usually means complete or mature. 2 Timothy 3.17 defines it this way, that the man of God may be perfect, right, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That, that, that thoroughly furnished unto all good works is the definition of perfect. That's the Bible's definition. And in the context of Genesis 6, perfect means not contaminated by the world. You see, because of all the mess that was described earlier in Genesis 6, and I didn't take the time to to tell you earlier, but what was happening was some angelic sons of God were coming to earth and procreating with human women. And you can see it in verse 2 in Genesis 6, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair, and they took with them wives of all which they chose. I told you it was time of Marvel movies on steroids. Because the offspring of those sons of gods were godlike, and they were giants. Genesis 6, 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. So the human seed line had been corrupted except for Noah's. That's the direct meaning of him being perfect in his generations. His family tree hadn't been corrupted by those sons of God who had left their first estate, at least it hadn't been corrupted up to this point. And it was because he had separated himself from the world and all of its evil doings. And listen, because Noah did that, because he separated himself from the world, because he separated himself from the evil of the world, it saved his sons from destruction. They were protected. And there is a cool picture there for us because what is physical in the Old Testament is a spiritual picture in the New Testament. So there was a physical seed that we see in the Old Testament. Well, the spiritual seed of the New Testament is God's word. The spiritual seed of the New Testament is God's word. We are born again 
by the seed of Scripture. 1 Peter 1.23 tells us that. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And we see the corruption of the seed line as the devil's plan from the beginning, both physical and spiritual. And the spiritual corruption plays out today in the dismissal of the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture. Nearly 200 Bible translations in English. So who really knows what God said? Can we really know? But listen, there's also a practical application and a picture in our homes as well. And this is going to sound harsh, but I mean it. Because when we as parents do the Luciferian work of casting doubt on the absolute truth of God's word by not separating ourselves from the world, then we're putting our children at risk. When we as parents do the Luciferian work of casting doubt on the absolute truth of God's word. And one of the ways that we do that is when we don't separate ourselves from the world. It puts our children at risk to the point that the word of God is of none effect in their life. Because they don't believe it because you've taught them not to. Because you've made the world a playground instead of a battleground. Casting doubt in your children's mind on verses like 2 Corinthians 6 verses 15 through 17 that says, What concord has Christ with Belial or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And cast doubt on verses like James 4, 4, that says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I mean, does God need to make it clearer than that? In 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So moms and dads, please listen to me. When it comes to the spiritual health of your children, it is way more important that they see you walk with God than see you walk with worldly friends. I'm not telling you to get rid of your friends. I'm, I'm actually not telling you to do anything. I'm just trying to lay the Bible out. But I know that this world is so enticing for us, myself included. And our kids see it and our kids feel it. And there's just danger associated with it. Noah was separated and it saved his kid's life. And that's the second key to biblical parenting that we learn from him. And then third, Noah was serious about the work. And of course, the work I'm talking about is the work that the Lord gave him to do. It was building the ark. Look with me starting in verse 14. God tells him, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Or, or, or just like a, a, a caulking type of thing. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make of the ark, and a cubit 
shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons, wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee, that shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every short sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And I read all that because I want you to see that God gave Noah very specific instructions of what he wanted Noah to do. And then Noah got to work. And he built the darn thing. Verse 22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah was in line with Paul and what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6.1 that says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Right? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and then he got to work with him, with the Lord, because of it. And listen, that is exactly what we are to do as well. And our kids know what we are serious about and our kids know what we are not serious about. Like I've, I've already said, we can't fool them. And if something is important to you, they know it. And if something is not important to you, they know it. And listen, do you understand like all the work that was involved in, in, in what Noah did? It was huge. You know, a cubit, you know, is anywhere, you know, most people will say like 18 inches. So that's kind of the small, 18 to 24 inches, something like that. So the ark was at least 450 feet long, at least 75 feet wide, and at least 45 feet high, three stories. After Noah, a ship was not built as large as the ark until the 1850s. And the work also involved making sure the animals were on and keeping them fed for over a year on the ark. And then the work involved repopulating the earth. His job was to rebuild the human race. Pretty big deal. But mixed in all of that is what we read in Genesis 6.18. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And, and here's what I just want you to see in that. There's a lot we could talk about with respect to the covenant and everything. But here's what I want you to see. Noah's work for the Lord included the salvation of his family. Noah's work for the Lord included the salvation of his family. And listen, ours must as well. Please don't get so caught up, even, let's say you're serving the Lord. Don't get so caught up in what you're doing for the Lord for everyone else that you end up neglecting your family. Now, but let me define that for you because, because I, I, I think that can be I think that can be somewhat confusing. So let, let me try to give you the biblical definition of that, at least as the way I see it. Because in the church world, you'll hear this following sentence with some regularity. Your family is your first ministry, right? If you've been around the church world, you've probably heard that, that sentence. Your family is your first ministry. And I understand that. I understand the sentiment of that, and I, and I, and I don't disagree with the sentiment of that. Now, I just don't exactly know how biblical it is in letter, Okay? Because here's what I think the biblical approach is. This is the approach I tried to use because, because this is what I see from the Bible. I believe the biblical approach is to include your family in the mission. 
And at the end of the day, we have to be able to do it all. Like, I certainly should not neglect my family, right? That, I started with that admonition. But I also can't neglect the church. I can't neglect you. I can't show up on a Sunday morning and say, you know what, guys? I don't have anything to preach this week because, you know, I had to spend time with my family this week. My, my family is my first ministry. Like, can I do that? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And I get it. That's not acceptable. I, and I understand that I'm an extreme example as a pastor of the church, but don't think that the same principle doesn't apply to you. We are all to be a part of the mission in our homes, in our church, in our community, and across the world. All of us. So include your family in all that you're doing for the Lord and win them to the Lord along the way. Listen, the Bible doesn't say exactly how Noah built the ark. And I believe it doesn't say because I don't think God wants us to know. I ult because ultimately I don't think it matters. All that matters is that Noah was obedient and he got the job done and we are to believe that in faith. But look at the picture. It's not unreasonable to think that Noah received some help along the way from his boys. It doesn't say it, but it's not unreasonable to think that. That he received some help from his sons in, in the work of the Lord. And then through that process, they were saved. And listen, when you're serious about the work of the Lord, good things happen in your life. Now, it does not mean that life is going to be easy. In fact, it might be the opposite. It might mean that life is hard. Noah and his family ended up staying in the ark for over 370 days with all those animals. Think about that for a little bit. What God asked him to do was quite difficult, and it came with trials, but his family was saved because of it. And I think the trade-off was worth it. I, I, I bet if you could talk to Noah today, he doesn't have any regrets on building that ark. And that's the third key to biblical parenting that we can learn from Noah to be serious about the work, about the work of the Lord. And then last, there's one more. And that is quite simply that Noah was submitted to God's word. And we've already looked at this some. These all overlap, but Noah was submitted to God's word. We saw the instructions that God gave him, and as crazy as that might have sounded to Noah, he obeyed. He didn't fight back. We already read verse 22, but look there again. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And really, at the end of the day, this is the best advice for any parent because it's the best advice for any Christian. Do you want to give your children the best chance possible for spiritual success? Then just live the Bible. Do what God tells you to do in his word. And if you don't know what that is, then learn it. Keep being a part of all that we offer here so that you know what God expects from you. And as a Christian, and as a parent, if that's applicable to you, Learn what it is that you're to learn. Because when you do that, then you know what and how to feed your family spiritually so that they can grow in the Lord. That's what Noah did. So don't miss the picture. Look at verse 21. God said, Take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. That included his family and him, him, his family, and his animals. Noah knew how to feed his family in the ark for over a year. 
And that was physical. I mean, everything we're seeing in Genesis 6 is physical, and I'm making this, showing you the picture for the spiritual application. That was physical, but here's the spiritual truth in that picture. Fathers, do, do you have the ability to spiritually feed your family? If not, then you should get equipped. Because Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And listen, if God's words aren't in your heart, then you're not going to be able to put them in your child's heart. And if you do not have them in your heart, how, how can you obey Deuteronomy chapter 6? But if you do have them in your heart, then you can obey Deuteronomy 6, and you can trust the Lord with your kids. And again, they have their own free will. Household salvation is not a, not a biblical doctrine. It's certainly not what I've been trying to teach today. I'm just showing you the pictures. I want you to see the family portrait. But listen, even if things don't seem great with your kids right now, there's always hope. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And I just tell you, I don't really know what all that verse means. But man, that's a promise that we can cling to. And I do know this, I, at this level, I know this, if you do your part, God will do his. So it's worth it to do it right now. And I know some of you are thinking, man, Troy, listen, I wish I had heard this 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Or I didn't even get saved until after my kids were grown up and adults. You know, what do I do now? Well, first you can pray. You can always do that. And you can ask for God's grace to intervene. And then second, you can be a Noah today. But Noah. But Noah. It was a game changer. Listen, I told you earlier, this passage in Genesis 6 includes the first mention of grace in the Bible in a time that God was fed up with everything and everybody and was about to destroy it all. So let me say it one more time. It means that things are never too far gone for God to intervene even in your family. So pray to that end and cling to that hope. But if you're young and you're just getting started in your family, please take these admonitions to heart now because there is power with and in believing parents, even one. We see that from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But more broadly, we see that truth with the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, and we've certainly seen it here in Genesis 6 with Noah. And we live in weird times, but they aren't any weirder than when Noah was alive. So we can lead our children through these perilous times to God's glory. But the keys are being sincere in your walk with God in front of them. You can't fake it with your kids, so don't try. Then be separated from the world and unto the things of God. Be about what God is about. So get serious about his work. Get serious about the mission. Let's go repopulate the earth with spiritual sons of God. And let's include our kids in the process. 
but we're only going to do it, and we'll certainly only be successful in that if we're submitted to God's word. We've got to do it the way he said it. There was a fashion that he wanted the ark built, the very specific instructions. And there's very specific instructions for us as Christians and, and us as parents. And we, got, we don't get to pick our own way. We don't get to do it the way we think is right. We've got to do it the way God says. But Noah's family portrait tells us this, that it'll be worth it. Do, thing God, do things God's way, and it'll be worth it. So have every head bow and every eye closed. And as we're getting ready to close out and sing this final song, again, I just want you to, man, settle your hearts and just go seek the Lord now. Go ask the Lord if there's anything that, that he you know, re- revealed to you today that you need to change in your life. See if there's something that you need to take from his word this morning and use to, to change your family dynamic. And if there is something, do it. Man, go before the Lord today and, and let him know, okay, Lord, listen, I, I, I've been messing up, but I'm, I'm going to do it right now. And I'm going to cling to your hope and I'm going to live uprightly to see your grace. And, and however things turn out, I'm going to trust you in the process. Listen, there's no greater place to be than dependent upon the Lord. And, and, and just see what he does. And if there's anybody here today that, that doesn't know the Lord as their Savior, man, this, this time is for you as well. We're going to sing a song to him and... And if, if you need to do business with the Lord, either in your relationship with him or, or by giving your life to him and placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that today? If you have questions about that, you can come up and talk to one of us. We'd love to talk you, to you about that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and, and thank you for the, the truth in it, Lord, and, and, and the, the, the manual it is for everything in life, including parenting. And so thank you for the example of Noah. Use it in our families. Use it in this church uh, for your glory. Lord, bring us into your image more and more every day and let us be about the mission that you've given us to do. Lord, please use us um, and, and, and mold us um, the way that we need to be molded. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.